Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, you're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103 and sounds there um, beautiful, beautiful music. And the Cork Concert Orchestra, who wowed everyone with that stunning concert of music from the movies in City Hall in June. Well, they're back in City Hall next Saturday with a glorious concert of classical music featuring that one, the Karelia Suite from Sibelius, among others, and the simply incredible Seventh Symphony from Dvorak. So returning to Cork as guest conductor is Neil Thompson, who travels the world working with orchestras. So I rang him yesterday to find out what plans he's got for Cork this Sunday. Neil, it's exciting. I know orchestra members who are in the orchestra preparing for this concert and I know they're excited to have you back because they love working with you. You have conducted this orchestra before, but you're not in Ireland yet. So I've had just a kind of a convoluted time just making contact with you this morning. You're in Brazil. I'm in Brazil, that's right. And I've been here since 2017. I've lived here, but I've been conducting here my orchestra in, in Brazil, in, in Goiânia, which is right in the, in, the, in the middle of the country. I've been conducting them since 2014. So it's eight eight years I've been coming back and forth to Brazil. You see, because I know like you have this huge CV and body of work where you've conducted orchestras all over the world. You have a huge reputation built up as a conductor with the London Philharmonic and Symphony and all sorts of things. What was the attraction to this base in Brazil, besides what we imagine to be a kind of a romantic association with the country? But <laughs> from, a, from a work point of view, a serious, yes, I feel I have a, a trajectory of body that I can do here. What was it for you? What, what it was, I've, I've always liked to build things. It's always been my, my interest has been to build projects. And basically, I was offered a project here to start from scratch and build something. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've done over the last eight years. So I get to decide all the repertoire. I get to decide all the guest conductors, all the guest soloists. I, can, I design the whole season and I can have a nice theme for every season. So all the, con- the concerts are connected. It's something to build the public as well as being a great thing because, because Guyana, it's, it's a new city. It was built in, I, th- built in, I think, 1939, 1938, 1939. And there's no real tradition of classical classical music here. And so... Virtually everything you're doing is, is for the first time. Mm. If you're playing a Brahms piano concerto or a piece of new music, it's for the first time. And the, the public is very curious. They're incredibly open. So that's been, that, that, was the, that was the interest for me, to take something from scratch and to build a project. And in eight years, we've managed to do that. You know, we're now recording discs for Naxos that are getting reviews from critics all over the world. And we're now seen as one of the leading orchestras in the country. That must give you just such great satisfaction. It, it really does. Yeah. When, when, you go, when you go as a guest conductor to an orchestra, you're kind of borrowing someone else's orchestra for a week. And you can do a nice concert, but then you go home and the next week it's someone else. But when, when this is your baby mm. and you can decide everything, you decide. I mean, I, you know, I even we decide the atmosphere, the working atmosphere, that I'm, I'm absolutely 100% that people have to work with mutual 
respect. It's a zero sort of bullying atmosphere. So you, you have to, to, to train everybody to behave like that. You speak well to the stage people. You speak well to the administrative team. The musicians don't argue amongst themselves. I mean, it, it, it's something that I, I've created really, the, 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 not just the musical atmosphere, but the, the working atmosphere. Mm. And that for me was really a, an important thing that we work in a sort of ethical way. You were going to talk in a minute about how you're going to parachute into Cork and steal the orchestra for the week ahead of the concert <laughs> in City Hall next Saturday. But just before we park Brazil for a second, you know, you have done that. You have parachuted into orchestras all over the world as a guest conductor. And like that, you arrive, you stay in a hotel, you rehearse, you perform and then you're gone. But moving to Brazil is a big cultural shift. I mean, the language is Portuguese. Did you speak that already? I didn't. I had to I had to I had to learn. I had to learn it quickly. In fact, because my uh my wife doesn't speak English, so I had to, I had to learn Portuguese. Our first date was with Google Translate. No, oh my <laughs> so goodness! I had, I had an incentive to learn Portuguese really quickly. <laughs> and and how much of the Brazilian culture then was a shock to you, or you know, have you kind of embraced that you you miss when you're not there? This, Brazil is, is is a very interesting place. They, we have a phrase here, which is it, everything is eight or eighty. You know, it's all or nothing. <laughs> okay. So it's a fascinating country because it's a country where things are sometimes impossible, and then there are times where everything is possible. You can mm-hmm. still create projects like this. There are a lot of bureaucratic difficulties. That's for sure. I mean, and all the artistic organizations in Brazil are allied very closely to the state. So, for instance, if you get a change of governor. That can be disastrous okay. because you then get somebody who isn't interested in classical music, doesn't mm-hmm. think the orchestra's a priority. We're very lucky at the moment. We've got a governor who's, who supports culture and the election is tomorrow because the governor's election is the same day as the presidential election. Okay. So we, he's going to win. He's going to win. It's, it's, right. it's, it's okay. <laughs> but, but a change of government because that means you start, yeah. you start with a new culture secretary and you have to go and you have to explain what the orchestra is and maybe they've never even heard an orchestra, you know. So that's the downside of it. It's the sort of the, the political bureaucratic side of it, which which I've had to learn. I mean, you know, I, I got I, I had, to, had to go and have lunch with the governor to, to, to discuss a problem about the orchestra. And that would never happen mm-hmm. in Europe. You wouldn't go and see the prime minister <laughs> to go and talk about a problem with the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Amazing. So that, that was interesting. That's the sort of the weightier side of it. But yeah. the positive side of it is that people are open and you can say, look, we're going to we're going to do this. It's never been done before in Goyas and we're going to do it. And people say, great, let's do it. It's still a pioneer spirit in the country. Mm. Which that's I, exciting. Which, which is something I, I really love. Mm. And the Brazilians are, are very admirable because they have this, this incredible resilience in the face of problems. Is that my, when I arrived, there was a problem. I was, I can't cope with this. I, no, no, this, this is impossible. And they would say, look, we can't solve the whole problem. But today we're going to solve this bit of it. And tomorrow we're going to solve that bit of it. And I thought, my God, yeah, that's the way to work. So I learned, I really learned something from from being here. I'm much more patient and actually much more creative in my my problem solving than I was before I arrived. Well, it sounds like you have to draw on lots of strands of ingenuity. And I know listeners who are listening this morning were going, go back there, Elmarie, and ask him about the date with Google Translate. We might come back to that in the end. <laughs> you are you are parachuting into Cork this week to rehearse with the Cork Concert Orchestra ahead of this concert in City Hall. And the most beautiful music, we listened to a little bit of the Corelia Suite on the programme last Sunday. Too brief, in my opinion. We didn't have time for the whole lot of it. But the big weighty number in Saturday's concert is Dvorak's Seventh Symphony. And I listened to the whole lot of it earlier on this morning. And Connor, I was listening to it too. God, the two of us just sat back and went, wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm.
moments. For me, it's it, it's my favorite Dvorak symphony. I think this is this is. I mean, you know, he he was a great composer. It turned out a lot of masterpieces, but for me, personally speaking, this is my favorite symphony of his. It has everything. It's dramatic. It's romantic. It has the light, the most the lighter dance-like movements. It it has the full range. Of emotions. It does. And what I also find interesting about when you listen to a work like this was what, what's happening with the composer's life at any one particular time? What inspires the composition? What inspires the direction a piece may take? And this one was kind of quite personal to Dvorak after the death of his mother, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. I mean, you, you feel that he's he's poured his heart into this piece. You know, the, the, the second movement, the slow movement is so beautiful. It's so full of a sort of nostalgic yearning. Um, no, you're absolutely right. What do you love about conducting this symphony? I, actually, I answer that in two parts. What do I love about conducting, first of all, because it feeds into the, into, into the other answer. For me, it's the most natural way for me to express myself because I'm actually, paradoxically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shy person who normally would never choose to stand in front of a group of 80 people. But when I've got music there, I find it's the most natural thing in the world for me to express myself. And conducting Vorjak 7, I find this emotional language is something I can I can connect with. Are you a good dancer, Neil? <laughs> no, I'm a terrible. This is my wife doesn't understand this. She's like, how can you you move naturally to music? I yes. cannot dance to save my life. Isn't but that funny? When, yeah. I, when, I, when, when I'm conducting, all inhibitions fall away. Because you suddenly become completely immersed in the music. And the reason I ask you that, and it sounds like a very kind of trivial question, but it just feeds back to what you said, you know, how you express yourself through the music. Because standing or sitting rather in front of a conductor, you infuse, you know, the direction to the orchestra, not just in what you've verbally spoken to them through rehearsals, but what you impart through your body, your entire body during a performance, because otherwise you have to remain silent. So it is through your physical expression that you communicate and direct. And Ex- Exactly. Yeah. yeah, you have to you have to somehow embody the music mm. in your body language. My teacher, Norman Del Mar, always said this. He said, you have to look like the music. Yes, that and, is so true. That's, that when, I, when I'm teaching, I'm always saying that to my students, you know. What sound do you want here? What do you want from the orchestra? How are you going to express that with your hands? Because, you know, I, I travel a lot and, you know, you go to some orchestras where very few people speak English mm-hmm. and maybe you don't speak Russian or Chinese or Japanese. So you, you have to develop a, a strong body language that can, can, you know, music is a universal language. So musicians everywhere in the world understand what music is. So you need to be able to use your body language and your facial expressions 
to, to, to get across what it is you want from them. Exactly, because, you know, there's the same dots on the page, whether you're playing them in New York, London or Tokyo. Yeah, exactly. But you can have three different orchestras who will sound utterly different playing those dots yeah. because of the conductor in front and because of that relationship. And like you said, if the, if the actual spoken language isn't in common, well, then it is a body language and a, a, a communication which is indefinable, which I, I always find it fascinating. Is, it, it's, there was the, the, great, uh, the great French conductor, Charles Munch, he described conducting as a magical emanation. And that sounds a little bit flowery, I know. But I know, I know what he means, because you watch a great conductor, and within ten minutes they can change the sound of an orchestra without, yeah. without saying anything. Yes, without saying anything, just by their presence and by the projection of what's inside them onto the orchestra, and this is magical to see. And that must be very exciting for you too, as a teacher of conducting. You know, to see people coming up in front of you, and you you know those for whom it is in their DNA. <laughs> And you know those Absolutely. for whom it's a struggle. Yeah. I always, I always say that to a student. I say, look, you've got what can't be taught. Yeah. Now you need to learn what can be taught. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't, if you haven't got what can't be taught, you can't be a conductor. Because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's like any person who's in front of a group of people. You put a teacher in front of a group of school kids. They will know instinctively whether they're going to take this teacher seriously if they have a, a, a natural authority. If when they say something, the kids are going to listen. And it's the same thing with a conductor. I think orchestral musicians smell this, you know. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not even a conscious thing. People say that they, you know, the way a conductor walks onto the rostrum, sort of older, experienced orchestral musicians are already getting a vibe about whether they're going to take this person seriously or not. But it's exciting when you have a new conductor to go on a different journey and to feel the sound of an orchestra or a choir change in the invisible mallying of the hands that goes on. Um, That's right. It is. It, it, it really is. Now, just to remind listeners, of course, this concert is in Cork's City Hall this coming Saturday night. Tickets are available on Eventbrite. So if you Google Cork Concert Orchestra October Eventbrite, it'll come up. Or if you go into Eventbrite and you're specific about the Cork Concert Orchestra, it will also come up. And, you know, the Dvorak, as we said, isn't the only piece that's on the programme. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous program for the night and I know the orchestra are delighted and excited to have you back it's great to have visiting conductors and it's also great to have a reconnection of a relationship which is very exciting speaking of relationships let's go back to that first date on Google Translate (laughs) 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 weren't you brave weren't you brave to just bite the bullet and say okay this is it yes Uh, no looking back now I mean we sort of both wonder how we plucked up the courage to do it but we did you did so So it was you know five years ago now so well congratulations indeed and you have since learned to speak Portuguese though yes (laughs) (laughs) otherwise it would be very difficult at home if I hadn't (laughs) listen Neil it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I know that you were telling me there's been a storm where you were yesterday and this morning so connections and electricity finally restored so safe travels to Cork thank you and enjoy the concert now next Saturday. Thank you so much. Great, I'm looking forward to it immensely. Lovely to talk to you again.
Venha ao City Call para ouvir a orquestra Concerto de Cork no sábado. I couldn't resist. I had to use Google Translate myself there to get the Portuguese to just say, look, come to City Hall next Cork, uh, next Saturday for the Cork Concert Orchestra. Um, can you imagine being in City Hall with that? Whoa. Belting out live yeah. in front of you. Going to be phenomenal. Eventbrite for the tickets, guys. Back after these. The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103. Oh, just beautiful music there from Greenshine. And that's mother and daughter, of course, that you're going to hear on the vocals there. Um, Ellie and mum, Mary Green. Now, if you want to hear more girls at play or gals at play, you can hear Mary Green, Sarah O'Gorman, Neve Murphy, Alana Thornborough and Aileen Maiden all together in the Spalpine Phonic at four o'clock as part of the closing day of the Cork Folk Festival. Oh, there'll be stories there as well. Uh, it won't be just songs. That's uh, going to be a great gig. It'll be a great event altogether. And listen, while I'm at it altogether, we might as well have a look at what else is taking place in the Cork Folk Festival. There's a fiddle concert at one o'clock also in the Spalpine Phonic with Brendan Mulvell, Jerry Harrington and Cuiva Flannery and Andrew Cadden, that's only a tenor. And if you go to Fitzgerald's Park at two o'clock, the Folk Festival is in the park. You've got Thorcon, Douglas Coltus, and it's a free open-air family-friendly event at two o'clock in Fitzgerald's Park. At four o'clock, there's a film called Dark Horse in the Wind. I'll tell you more about that later on when we go through the events of the Indie Cork Festival. But it's funny, it's like the closing day of the Cork Folk Festival is also included in the opening day of the Indie Decor Film Festival as well, so that's in the Gate Cinema as well. At Triscoll Christchurch at six o'clock, Music Network are on tour with Moraid Nivainik, Mark Redmond, and Cormac Debarra. The Spalpeen at half seven has a box concert, and again downstairs there's a gig on at half past eight as well for free if you want to go in there. But if you go to the Cork Opera House at eight o'clock tonight, you can catch Mary Concert in concert. Sorry, Mary Black in <laughs> concert. Mary Concert in Black with Bill Shanley. Yes, Mary Black in concert with Bill Shanley, Pat Crowley, Nick Scott, Richie Buckley, and Liam Bradley plus Grania Hunt. And finally, the closing gig of the Cork Folk Festival is at half past eleven and. It's two-time polka, bidding it all goodbye in the Crane Lane. Now then, Connor, the Cork Decorative and Fine Arts Society Absolutely. has news this month. Absolutely. Every month they meet in Nananagle Place. So I had a chat with their PR, that's Tom Spaulding, who literally had just got out of the car, picked up the phone as he arrived in Waterford. Tom, I'm ringing you. You're down in Waterford. You've literally just arrived at your destination. Fair deuce to you. Thanks. You've got a little bit of news for us about the DFAS, otherwise known as the Decorative and Fine Arts Society. You've got a lecture coming up that you'd like everyone to know about. Great. Yeah, it's the first lecture of our new season, the 2022-23 season, our ninth season of talks and events. Yeah. We're open for new membership and we're meeting in Nanonagel Place right. at about 11 a.m., on the 8th of October, so that's next Saturday. And we, we have something special lined up for our members and visitors. That is a talk by a gentleman called Adrian Le Harivel, and he is a curator at the National Gallery of Ireland, and yeah. he's been there for, for many years, and he's a man of extraordinary knowledge and experience when it comes to, to fine art yeah. and painting, oil painting, 
watercolours, you name it, this man has forgotten more than you and I will probably ever know about uh, about painting. So he's well in the frame anyway, that's that's for sure. Oh gosh, that's a terrible one, Connie, if he's in the frame for us all. So he's going to be talking about something a little bit different and it's kind of almost detective work, really, rather than your classic art history. Yeah. He's going to be speaking about a French painting by an artist called Alexandre Rosselin, okay. who lived from 1718 to 1793. It's in the National Gallery's collection. Yeah. And it's a portrait of a man called Louis-Philippe de Rigaud, who was the Marcus de Vendroin. So we're all very French here. And I can imagine that this work was done before the revelation, the revolution, I beg your pardon. The revolution. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, 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 what he's going to be talking about, what Adrian's going to be talking about, is first of all, what's behind conserving a work of art like this, which is you're heading on for a 240 years old. But also, he is going to kind of look through the painting and talk about those little details that you quite often see in the background of maybe 17th, 18th, 19th century portraits Mm -hmm. that are put there by the artist to kind of reveal and tell stories about the sitter. Okay. But which... If you and I were just wandering to the Crawford or wandering to the National yeah, yeah. Gallery, yeah, we might not spot them. We we kind of look at maybe the man's face or you know his fine clothes or yeah. the lady's clothes or the, whatever, but we might not spot the the little details like the cup on the shelf or the bit of a rug or the corner of another picture or some little thing. So that's what I mean about it being a bit like a, a, a detective. detective. He's got to be exploring and explaining what all these possessions in the portrait mean. Okay. And what they can tell us about this gentleman, Louis Philippe, and, and the past. So you're kind of deciphering. It's, it's probably like a secret language that artists had, you know, a shorthand. Indeed, yes. Yeah. 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 And, and so, so I can imagine, I mean, I haven't heard the talk yet, but I can imagine some of the things in the picture were shared with the sitter and the portrait painter, but some of them might have been put in by the portrait painter to kind of tell another story. Okay. So I'm, I'm very curious to see what we're going to learn next Saturday. Well, that sounds absolutely intriguing altogether. I'd be delighted to go along to that. So maybe you actually made a, a deliberate mistake there. It is going to turn out to be quite a revelation, isn't it? Indeed it is, yeah. <laughs> revelation, not a revolution. <laughs> so, as I said, we, we're open for new members for the Society and returning members. We have a, a membership, annual membership of 80 euros, which is very reasonable because you also get discounts on, on tours and events. And if you need a concession, there, there's a concession available so we'd very much like to see anybody who's interested in, in decorative or fine arts come to Nanonagel Place at about 11am next Saturday morning, mm-hmm. the 8th of October. And you're welcome to join the Society and uh, enjoy the events. Listen, we'll talk about your season that's coming up pretty soon because there's a lot more on the cards. But that's a fine mm-hmm. introduction to it and a curious one as well. All I can say to it is, Viva la Revelation. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, Connor. Take care of yourself. Thank you, Tom. Talk to you soon. Bye. 
That's Tom Spaulding there chatting to Connor. Now then, a couple of uh, bits and pieces of notices and listings that I want to let you know about. Uh, can I wish David McGraw, a very regular listener to the programme here, the very best of luck uh, on Thursday morning at 11 o'clock because he is hosting the Gramophone Recital in Holly Hill Library. So that's Thursday at 11 o'clock in the morning. It's free of charge. All are welcome and really wishing David uh, the very best of luck with that. Hope you have a great, great morning. Um, can I also wish Dolores Mannion the very best of luck? She's stepping back in and on to the stage of the Cork Arts Theatre with her play Apple Tart. Now this took place as part of the Lunchtime and Supper uh, Theatre series during the course of the summer. But of course our very own Jess Lean was supposed to be on stage in the Cork Arts Theatre this week and Jess is suffering from vocal troubles and has to do sort of vocal rest she can't sing she can't perform she can't read the news here we're just gutted so we're sending all our love and best wishes to Jess get well soon and Dolores has kind of stepped into the breach so that there isn't a dark week in the Cork Arts Theatre so well done Dolores and I know this will go very well because um the reviews on Facebook and everything uh, when she did this in the summertime were simply amazing. It's amazing. It's a play all about and dedicated to her mother. Uh, it's called Apple Tart and you won't be disappointed if you head to the Cork Arts Theatre. Um, it opens on Tuesday and runs to Saturday. Now here's a play next Saturday uh, at Graffiti Theatre Company's Fitzgibbon Theatre in Blackpool next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. This will be suitable now for families who have children over 10, all right? Um, because this is a beautiful commissioned theatre production from the internationally renowned playwright Finian Crookmeyer. It's called The Sleep That Ceased to Settle. It's a 60-minute play exploring a father-daughter relationship alongside the reality of grief. So it's aimed at family audiences or dreamers or anyone who has stayed up imagining different worlds. The background to this is it was Joni's mum who sang the bedtime songs, but now she's gone and Joni can't sleep. So encouraged by her dad, Joni begins to tell a bedtime story of a village where sleep has ceased to settle. So can a young girl guide her community to safety? Can the songs return? And can Joni and Mally finally find sleep. It's a story full of wonder and love and adventure, directed by Graffiti's artistic director, Niall Cleary. You can catch it in the Fitzgibbon Theatre, like I said, next Saturday in Graffiti's Theatre in Blackpool. And tickets for that are on Eventbrite. Corks 96FM and C103. The Arts House. a big intro there don't we yeah mechanic is going to kill me for that now altogether <laughs> because i met up with him in the indie cork festival was launched in the roundy during the week so i met up with him and we had a chat and it was actually great fun altogether just to meet up with an old pal so basically i was just talking to to mick and uh, it was good fun just remembering the fact that they are celebrating a significant birthday so uh, it was good good crack Mick, I'm nearly going to have to say congratulations. Is there cake tonight? I can actually see candles because this is a significant... <laughs> this is a significant age that the festival has come to. Yeah, I, I still find it bewildering that we, we've been going 10 years. Where, where did the time go? <laughs> 
you know, we, we started perhaps on a wing and a prayer 10 years ago, hoping that this, this would work and hoping that we'd get films and hoping that we'd get audiences. And the fe- festival has sort of taken off. It's, it's grown and grown, despite COVID and lockdown and all of that. Yeah. But it has, it has grown. And the wonderful thing is, despite COVID, despite lockdown, filmmakers continue to produce interesting work, including Cork filmmakers. Yeah, you're already answering questions I'm about to ask, but the growth of the festival as such, did BAFTA recognition have any kind of an input on that? Did it create a worldwide interest in people wanting to submit material for Cork? Short answer, absolutely, and in spades. Yeah. We had entries from 96 countries... (laughs) The number of entries doubled. The fact that BAFTA recognition or BAFTA acknowledgement okay. gives us a certain status. We're on the list. Oh. We're on the, the international list now. Okay. When people look up Academy Award nominating festivals, BAFTA nominating festivals, we're on that list. Right. And it, it's, it's increased our reach hugely. But I'm sure that creates a certain logistical problem of this end now, because now, all right, the menu might be getting more interesting, but you've got, you've got more ingredients to sift through. Yeah, it's a, it's a time problem. It's yeah. a time problem. We love seeing all those films coming in, but it's the sifting through them. And certainly for the international shorts, we get thousands, over 2,000. We have a panel of people Absolutely. looking at them, and that, that's necessary because they need to be assessed and sifted through and seen which ones suit our purpose, etc. But it's a great problem to have. At what point during the year does it filter down or up or over to you and Una, who are the directors of the festival, the programme directors? Currently, our deadline is August the 1st. Oh, my God. And as you can imagine, (laughs) the three days before August the 1st, (laughs) you know... We're flooded. We're, we're swamped. Okay. But but thankfully we have a large preview team, film enthusiasts, yeah. who we we give certain tutorials to and guidance to, and then they they plough through it, and it's all done online now. We use a platform called Film Freeway, and it's very user friendly. So people view the films on their computers. They write their notes. They give scores to the films. It's very gratifying to see film from across the world and one of the things that's rewarding for me is you see the world through other people's eyes absolutely cultures that are far from us you can see what their preoccupations are or how they tell stories or what stories they feel are important to tell so i mean that's that's what a film festival is about it's international and showing cinema from across the world not just from hollywood well, I know they say travel widens the mind and all that kind of stuff. It's probably one of the most travelled people I've ever met, and you haven't had to go far. So in, in that regard, if anyone comes along to this year's festival, what's coming to Cork from all over the world? For instance, what countries, what cultures, what languages? Well, it, it literally is from all over. Wow. And we have an international shorts competition. My colleague, Unafili, who, who programmes those international shorts, has a very popular programme every year called Best of World Shorts. So that's where you get the cream. My area of interest and some expertise, I'd like to think, is the Irish Shorts. We have, gosh, I've lost track now how many many programmes of Irish Shorts we have, but they cover documentary, animation, comedy, horror, drama, experimental film, films from Northern Ireland, and, it's important to say, two programmes of shorts by Cork filmmakers. And those are the two programmes that are the most 
eagerly anticipating yeah. every year because it's mums and dads and cousins and the cast and the crew and they're all there to see the films they've worked on on the big screen, presented in the Gate Cinema, just like any Hollywood blockbuster is presented. Yes. So that's, that's very, very rewarding and there's a wealth of talent out there. Now, you were talking earlier on to one of my colleagues here from the newsroom to Zeta and you were talking about a Cork Long film that caught your ear. Yeah, it's very gratifying for a festival devoted to independent cinema when you have films brought to your attention, independent films made by Cork filmmakers. And this year we have two very important ones. One is a documentary made by Frameworks called Ordinary Women in Extraordinary Times concerns five Cork women involved in the War of Independence. And these are relatively unknown stories that frameworks have brought to our our attention. And it's fascinating. You know, we're aware of Terence McSweeney and so Mm, forth. But they're... they're, they're, the ordinary women. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we're doing Uh, extraordinary things. And the other one then, the, the feature film, is a world premiere of Stephen Brockhausen's Bound to Work. And that's a comedy. It's a very amiable, gentle comedy. And comedies are very welcome. You know, we all, we all need a laugh. I absolutely loved the description in the programme. It looked, it sounded to me, it was described as a, a shaggy dog story. <laughs> well, but there's a picture of a cow. So how do you explain this? <laughs> well, it's, it concerns three near-do-wells. Yeah who are quite inept at their money-making schemes and get up to all sorts of nefarious plans to try and make the rent money. One one involves stealing a cow. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to give too much away. Cow napping. But let me me say that these lads are quite inept. As you can imagine, it's quite funny because everything goes wrong for them. But they're still very amiable chaps. You hope it works for them and it doesn't. It was made as if it was a community effort. It was like it grew legs. The community got involved. People of Cork. Stephen was explaining to me that it was almost like a COVID project. It was yeah. something to do, you know. They, he reached out to his filmmaking friends and said, let's do something. And then it did grow legs. Mm. And, you know, he was looking for sets, he was looking for actors. And all of this, all of this came into, in, into being. And um, so this is very, very much sort of a freewheeling aspect to the film, uh, which adds to the comedy, in, in my view, and adds to the attractiveness of the film. So I think people are going to have a, a good night on the Thursday of the festival when this gets its world premiere. The festival itself has bookended, and you've made the point already, quite unusually, by documentaries. Normally people would expect works of fiction, but there's a very good reason for choosing the opening and closing films as documentaries? Well, these are, these are films that, that in, in one sense fell into our laps because they're, they're later going to be released, get commercial releases in cinema. But what unites them is that they're both directed by female directors, which I think is a very welcome development. And they both concern significant Irish people. Vicky Phelan, yes. the cancer campaigner, and that, that's a very important story and quite inspiring yeah, story yeah, yeah. of her struggle, a very successful struggle, not just on her own behalf, but on, on women's behalf. And the other is a portrait of Dirnie Griefa, yeah, yeah. who is well known as a poet, and then great attention drawn to her for her debut novel called Ghost in the Throat which was on many books of the year shortlist and Duran as you know lived in Cork for many years so Cork is depicted 
as a very attractive place in this film. So we're delighted to, to close the festival with that because we know Griefa, we admire her and Cork is in the film for the first 30 minutes. looks a most welcoming spot to have two Irish films yeah. bookending the festival, both about Irish, significant Irish women and both made by female Irish directors. Now, listen, we haven't even touched on the workshops, the awards, even the fact that the venue that we're in at the moment, the Roundy, has its own function in the festival as, I suppose, a club in one way, but it's also it's the other venue, insofar that it's not just in the gate. The Roundy for the week of the festival is the Black Knight Festival Centre. We will have some screenings, we will have some workshops there, but also we have a very full music programme. What I'm particularly looking forward to is Boamart, the Cork band who gig very infrequently. I've seen them play twice, but that was years ago. So an opportunity to catch up with Boamart is something that I personally am looking forward to. But it's also a place that we can direct guests to, filmmakers can hang out here, and it all adds to that rich mix of events that a festival should have. Well, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say that Indie Cork or something left to centre has now taken centre stage. My commiserations on that. (laughs) The festival is running from? October the 2nd Mm. to October the 9th, Sunday to Sunday. About 50, 50 separate events on over those eight days. So it's a packed festival. We carry on for another, I think, 10 days online. So particularly short films and documentaries. It gives, it gives people another opportunity. Perhaps people who haven't the, have the chance to get to Cork or people who, are, for one reason or another, can't attend the live screenings. The online platform is now here to stay, I think. Well, speaking of attendance, people are already starting to come in the door and we're going to get crowded out if we don't stop right now. I think you've covered as many topics as you can. There's the features, there's the shorts, there's everything can be found in the Indie Cork programme, which is... To, to be found everywhere all over the city from, or online. From the Gate Cinema in particular, but yeah. from, from all good coffee shops. All good coffee shops. <laughs> Anybody who has an appreciation of film. Do you think Cork has grown as a filmmaking community? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it, w- one of the gratifying things about our Cork programme is that we're screening films by filmmakers we know because they've been at the festival with their films in previous years. So there's a continuity of production. Okay. These are not just once-off filmmakers and now we have a number of companies based in Cork who produce films year on year and we have the great pleasure and privilege to be able to screen them to Cork audiences. Okay, looks like everybody's starting to grow up. Mick, do me a favour, don't grow up. All right, (laughs) keep it young. Ten years young, well done. Thanks, Clark. I'd like to say thanks to Zita Philpot from the newsroom who joined me as well. She interviewed Mick first and uh, gave the newsroom some coverage of the festival as well, which runs from today right through to next Sunday. And I'm just looking at the programme. If you have a look at today, it's at half past one. Those world shorts that Mick was talking about are taking place in the Gate Cinema at four o'clock. There's Dark Horse on the Wind. I said, I mentioned that earlier on. It's actually a co-production, I suppose, between two festivals. It's uh, The Life and Songs of Liam Weldon, directed by Miles O'Reilly. So it's co-presented between the IndyCorp Film Festival and the 
Cork Folk Festival. It's a great story of uh, an Irish, the late traditional ballad singer Liam Weldon with recently discovered archive footage and songs from family and friends and plenty of footage there as well. Uh, Kings is on at five o'clock. Um, it tells a story. It's in tribute of to Tommy Collins, filmmaker who passed away this year. And uh, in the mid-1970s, it's the story of young men who, who left Ireland looking for great things in London and thought they would be kings. And then it looks at their lives 30 years later. It was made in 2007 by Tom Collins. And it stars Colm Meaney, Donal O'Kelly, Brendan Conroy and our very own Donna Crowley. So that's on at five o'clock in the Gate Cinema. Comedy shorts at six and that film, Vicky, that was mentioned as well at seven o'clock at great 6.30. Start. Yeah, yeah, great Great start. Start. So yeah. what's the website overall for the film festival? Again, just people just simply Google IndieCork.com mm-hmm, and yep. they'll all be there. Yep. Now then, other things that are happening out and about. The National String Quartet Foundation welcomed the Sparrow Quartet to Bantry this afternoon to play a double bill with the Vanborough Quartet. They have music by Mozart, Tchaikovsky and more. That's in St. Brendan's Church at three o'clock. And the Ballycotton Comedy Festival is also on this weekend. So check out their website and venues like Sea Church in Ballycotton, for example, which still has tickets available for Fred Cook and Chris Kent's solo gigs this afternoon but tonight then there are actually still a handful of tickets available for the gala which has Chris Kent Stephen Mullen and Deirdre O'Kane. Um, we are spoiled for orchestral concerts I mean I, I just think next Saturday's concert in City Hall with the Cork Concert Orchestra is going to be amazing but also on Thursday the Cologne based Colour Orchestra are coming for the first time in Cork's City Hall and this is I suppose celebrating the Cork Cologne partnership and again a beautiful uh, concert organised where the uh, orchestra from Cologne is going to be joined by students from the School of Music in that partnership as well, playing music from Bizet and Mendelssohn and Sanson and Shostakovich and Rachmaninoff. And they're also going to have Corkbone cellist Callum Owens playing the um, one of the greatest of all cello concertos. Uh, so there we go. Uh, Saint-Saëns con- Cello Concerto number one. So that's going to be part of that programme. That's on Thursday night in City Hall and tickets for that are available through the Cork Orchestral Society website. Now, if you are an adult who is interested in singing pop music and you would love to be part of a choir that sings pop music, well then can I recommend you check out VoiceWorks in Cork? Now we've talked about VoiceWorks loads of times on the programme here before. And they have a number of choirs and uh, options, I suppose, for adults to to, to sing. Now, they have an indie choir that's already running on Tuesdays, and that's totally full. But you can now join their brand new indie choir on Thursday nights. They start rehearsal at seven o'clock, and it runs for about an hour and a half. If you're curious, look up their Facebook page. Just simply Google VoiceWorks or search for VoiceWorks, or email them you can simply send an email to info at voiceworksstudio.ie. Uh, that sounds really, really interesting and so much fun. And then also something else I spotted, seeing as we always do the Kubelfuckelga here in the programme on Sunday mornings, there's a free Irish language poetry workshop in the City Library. Uh, it's actually going to be running over two Wednesdays. So Wednesday the 5th and Wednesday the 12th, Le Alva Nigarvi, Beshir Lanaruntaraig on a Dogadina Kaharaklog each Wednesday. So poetry as commemoration is the theme there. And uh, well worth checking that out. And you can check that out as well on the City Library website. In the background there, I'm playing a bit of classical gas. Uh, such a shame to just talk all over that one, isn't it? It's great practice.
amazing, isn't it? That is the uh, incredible fingers there of Pat Coldrick, taken from his album Cayendo. Just a superb Irish talent there playing uh, the classic, classical gas. Okay, we have about 30 seconds just to tell you about two plays that are coming up. First of all, in the Everyman this week, due to popular demand, even though it's back on the north side, he's going to still do it. Reggie is returning uh, to the Everyman Theatre this week from the 5th to the 8th of October. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Best of luck. It's just a brilliant gas show. Yeah, something that caught my eye on the 17th of October right through to the 22nd in the Opera House. The Mouse Trap is Woo-hoo! on its 70th anniversary tour. That's brilliant. Catch that. <laughs> okay, listen to all our guests. Thank you. Until next Sunday, have a great week. Orcs 96 FM and C103. The Arts House with Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes, the great taste of home.